0: Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show. Welcome to this inaugural episode of Cross-Border Solutions podcast series, where every week we'll discuss current issues in the transfer pricing world. Whether you're new to transfer pricing or you've been around the international tax block, you're sure to get a lot out of this episode. Today, we're talking about something everyone in the industry needs to know, worldwide transfer pricing compliance gulp, and why keeping up with transfer pricing regulations around the globe is one of the biggest challenges multinational companies face today but here with me of course is the anchor of this show our artificially intelligent transfer pricing know-it-all fiona
1: hello everyone by the way matt there is nothing artificial about my intelligence.
0: Fiona will be with us every week to set the transfer pricing facts straight, answer questions, and share her overall expertise about reporting requirements, penalties, economic benchmarks, and any other transfer pricing headache, I mean, topic you can think of. Uh, Incidentally, Fiona's expertise grows every day over the Amazon Alexa platform. Feel free to ask her questions via Alexa on the Echo. anytime. Along with Fiona, our guests today, Christy McDonald, Cross Border Solutions founding senior account executive, and Michael Wallach, the director of sales operations, and our principal transfer pricing consultant are here to walk us through some of today's compliance challenges. Mimi Song, Cross Border Solutions chief economist and transfer pricing extraordinaire is also here. In fact, she's going to be asking the tough questions. Together, they'll discuss the ins and outs of localization. And later, Mimi will take the hot seat for what we want to know, rapid fire round of questions from our listeners
1: oh how exciting i love mimi she's almost as smart as i am but don't tell her i said that
0: wouldn't dream of it fiona now before we get started let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news Starting with the Forum on Tax Administration on March 28th, the FTA concluded their two day meeting in Chile where they discussed tax certainty, more tax cooperation, and the challenges of the digital economy. Do these people know how to party or what? Seriously, though, uh, members agreed to work on tax certainty. In fact, 17 members volunteered to participate in the second phase of the International Compliance Assurance Program, which hopes to standardize reporting requirements and to facilitate an international exchange of information the group also set out a digital vision for tax administration 2030 which would use technology to help reduce compliance burdens so if you suffer from compliance anxiety don't worry according to this digital vision it should all lessen in about 11 years
1: good one matt
0: Belgium has some news recently as well. Tax authorities have finally published guidance on transfer pricing documentation penalties. Here's a quick look. If taxpayers violate documentation requirements or deadlines due to circumstances beyond their control, the government is actually quite reasonable, issuing no penalty at all. First-time offenders who make honest mistakes, meaning taxpayers who are not intentionally trying to commit fraud, but somehow commit fraud anyway, you're also off the hook. Repeat offenders, however, face penalties of up to 25,000 euros, and if you're caught trying to avoid taxes outright, then expect to pay 12,500 euros the first time and 25,000 euros for subsequent violations. I think we have time for one more update, so let's turn our attention to Japan. The island country passed its 2019 tax reform plans, which includes an interesting transfer pricing update. The country will now allow the discounted cash flow method to calculate arm's length prices on hard-to-value intangibles. The valuation method is used to estimate the value of an investment based on future cash flows. And while new methodology options are nice, this one is based mostly on projections. So if you don't have a psychic in your transfer pricing department, you might want to budget for one or at the very least bring that crystal ball to future audits. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your RD tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI driven tax solutions. Request a demo today? Visit xbs.ai slash RD. That's xbs.ai slash RD. You've heard the phrase dynamic duo, well, it doesn't get any more dynamic than this. Christy McDonald and Michael Wallach, who lead the sales charge here at Cross Border Solutions, they're both here not to sell you anything, though give them some time, and they might, uh, but rather to inform you about the pressures that multinational corporations face in today's transfer pricing compliance environment. We're here with Mimi Song, though, she's bringing her economist expertise and her incredible enthusiasm to lead the discussion on relevant topics in transfer pricing today. First, We thought we'd like to get to know Mimi. Mimi, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it.
0: So let's talk about you. Um, how did you get into transfer? Pr- what drew you to transfer pricing?
2: Well, in college, I actually switched degrees multiple times, to be honest. Oh, and, and I kind of settled on an economics degree. And then after school, yeah, I still... I still struggled with what did I want to do with my life and from a career perspective. um, I kind of stumbled upon a job with cross-border solutions at that point in time as an economist thinking, wow, this is great. I studied economics, they want an economist, so why not try it out? And that's how I got into transfer pricing.
0: What drew you to transfer pricing specifically? Uh, if, if, if
2: Well, I might focus? call it draw. what drew me in, right? Because I stayed with Cross-Border Solutions and, I, and I'm and i still here now. So right, right, right. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I think the beauty of transfer pricing and, and what really intrigued me about it is the fact that it allowed me to be extremely Quantitative and analytical, very much attuned with my skill set, but also it gave me an avenue to be creative. So, Mm -hmm. in transfer pricing, not everything is black and white, and there's no one right answer. It's not like a mathematical equation. So it's it, it it really allows uh, a reader or a practitioner to think about a company's facts and circumstances and to almost paint this picture that puts the company's facts and circumstances in the best light possible. So I think of myself as an artist.
0: Right, right. There's the creative element to forming that narrative, that that storytelling. Um, But what do you think are uh, challenges to this industry that you don't find in other forms of tax compliance?
2: Oh well, that's that's probably an easy um, uh, an easy answer because it's it's the the whole idea that there's this creative element to transfer pricing is what makes it challenging, right? And I think that's also why I'm drawn to it because I, i'm I, I love being challenged. I love having to think about things in a new and different light from a fresh perspective. Uh, and it's and to me, I think challenging the status quo only makes you know everything better. So so once again, In transfer pricing, the biggest challenge is that there's no one right answer, right? And so Mm. if you don't know the answer to something, you have to figure out how to explain why you think this is the best answer to people who may not know what the right answer is either or well, who definitely don't know what the right answer is.
0: For sure. And I, I think one of the things that actually makes your transfer pricing tenure so valuable Uh, in answering a lot of these questions, is that you have experience on both sides of the fence, uh, both as an in-house transfer pricing director at the Bank of Tokyo, Mitsubishi has a lot of other names, uh, and also as a transfer pricing consultant. What have you learned about the difference between the two?
2: There there are lots of differences between the two. Truthfully, when I took my in-house job the first week, I thought... I need to get out of here (laughs) and the only reason I thought that is it was so different and 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 I and the pace was very different too so you know but but listen I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because I think what's fascinating about it is as a consultant you deliver a report and you don't actually know what happens to that report right it kind of goes into a black hole and you think I wonder what they did with the Output and the analysis. I wonder where that went. Now, being on the in-house side, I know exactly what happens to those results, right? I know that in order to be an effective tax department, in order to um, ensure that the company as a whole is operating at arm's length, a lot of different things have to happen. So a lot of different stakeholders have to be informed. Um, You have to make sure that certain people are responsible for the implementation of that transfer pricing policy, that other people are held accountable for it. Um, the tra- tax department most likely needs to remain consultant and informed in the whole process. So lots of different moving pieces beyond the delivery of the actual analysis. So it was pretty challenging and, and uh, amazing at the same time to see all those inner workings within the organization. Um, In addition to that, I worked in a Japanese bank. It's not just a bank, but it's a Japanese bank. And I think that that really helped frame my perspective, because in a Japanese organization, they spend 80% of the time planning and 20% on execution. Wow. Which is really different than a US company that spends maybe 20% on planning, 80% on execution. I think that helped me as a consultant as well, to make sure that all the right components are evaluated before executing on them, and it, 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 taking those lessons with me, really helped to streamline my ability to 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 service our clients and our customers, as well as to manage the professional services team organization. It's it's now part of my uh, part of part of my I w- if you will management mandate.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I think that th- that'll bring a lot of perspective in terms of, of uh, how you're going to ask questions of Mike and Christy, who are also here with us. And before we actually move on to that part of the discussion, I want to set the table a little bit um, for you guys. Here's a here's a premise, if we can all agree on this. Uh, a quick snapshot of transfer pricing in 2019 might best be described as countries are under an enormous amount of pressure to raise revenue in their jurisdictions. So what's the plan let multinational companies replenish their bank accounts that's why we're seeing uh, a surge in audits adjustments and overall scrutiny but let's let the experts fill you in Uh, Mimi if you want to take it from here
2: thank you so much Matt all right so if we turn our attention to Mike and Christy Mike, you and I go way back. How far back do we go?
3: Oh, my God. I think 2003, Mimi. We have a lot of gray hair from transfer pricing.
2: <laughs> and not to diminish Christie's role in this organization, you are employee number one at the second coming of Cross-Border Solutions, right? That's right, Mimi. So clearly, both of you guys have a tremendous amount of experience and exposure in transfer pricing. And it's changed, hasn't it? It's very different than when you first started, yes?
3: It has, Mimi. Me, me. Man, I remember the old days when you had just a generic report and you were golden. Today it's just a completely different world. You don't have hyper-localized studies really specific to the rules and regulations of each of these countries and jurisdictions, the preferred formatting semantics. You're dead in the water. They're handing out adjustments like it's going out of style.
2: Well, so let's ask Fiona really quickly, you know, has Fiona? seen an increased burden related to transfer pricing.
1: I did survey of multinational companies a few months ago and check out some of these numbers. 78% of respondents rated transfer pricing adjustments as the number one tax issue. Facing their multinational corporation, 75% said that transfer pricing was a core focus of a past audit. 58% said that an audit resulted in an adjustment. 18% had penalties imposed while 24% had penalties threatened.
2: So all of these statistics are pretty astonishing and I'm thinking that this came about because of the OECD's base erosion profit shifting action plan. So that's the BEPS action plan for those of you who aren't familiar with that. Which the OECD enacted or, or well they decided to come out with it in 2013. And then the implementation of the OECD Action Plan happened in 2016. And for those of you who are not familiar with the OECD, that is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development that was founded in 1961 as an intergovernmental economic organization to help stimulate economic progress and world trade. And what we've been seeing in this economy is this globalization of multinational corporations right and as a result of the globalization i think the oecd had to determine a way to help mitigate the risk and or exposure associated with what was happening when companies started to move operations into lower cost jurisdictions right trade uh, basically trade free trade was is inevitable in this evolving globalized economy and then the oecd came out with 15 action items now today. We're specifically going to talk about action 13 and action 13 Relates to the documentation requirements, right? So the documentation requirements. There's the master file There's the local file and the country by country reporting and as a result of these requirements Essentially we are seeing these astonishing statistics right Christy just it's there's there's a pure focus of tax authorities Right,
4: right. I agree with that Mimi and I think Um, there was a real awakening that happened among the the tax authorities in the last two, three years that made them take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. Um, Not only do I want to have further detail about what's happening in our country, but there may be a way to draw some revenue um, back into our own economies by taking a deeper look at this.
3: Right. Right. That's absolutely right, Christy. And what's interesting is you can see this tension between these two trends. You know, the OECD guidelines trying to streamline uh, the regulations, but at the same time, these countries out there are trying to make their own requirements very specific so they can figure out ways to get you. And it's this very tension that we're dealing with all the time.
2: You know, it's interesting because I think a lot of these countries – historically had very low tax rates to encourage economic development in that country. And now that people are actively setting up corporations in those countries, there's sort of this manipulation, right, of of business, uh, business models in order to maximize the overall profits for an organization, or rather minimize the effective tax rate of organizations.
4: And and I would say also, Mimi, that what the trend that I think we're starting to see more and more is that those jurisdictions where it was advantageous to shift your business to, given the lower tax rate, are the ones that are in fact being <laughs> yeah. more and more scrutinous now. Um, when you look at a country like Malaysia, who's come forward to say, look, we've got a, a $500 million deficit and we're going to fix that through transfer pricing adjustments, um, it becomes pretty clear that while there is still an advantage to operate, you've got to make sure that you're also aligned with the rules and requirements on a country-specific basis to mitigate any potential issues while operating there.
3: And remember, the OECD guidelines are just that. They're guidelines, right? If you think that you're in good shape because you're following the OECD guidelines, check again. These countries have become very difficult to comply with.
2: That's actually a good segue into talking a little bit about what have countries done related to documentation requirements or transfer pricing requirements. They've all sort of enacted, adopted the OECD framework, but then they've tweaked it. So let's ask Fiona real quick. What are some of the countries that have adopted their
1: own regulations? Will Mimi, how much time do you have? Seriously, it's a lot of them, including almost every country in Western Europe plus Australia, Argentina, Poland, and the U.S., among many others.
2: It, it, it's, it's almost easier to talk about countries that have not changed the documentation requirements yes. at all. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely a more challenging environment to navigate in.
3: But, Mimi, it's not even about looking back, like, to the last year of how many countries have their own specific uh, regs that, are, that differ. It's really looking forward. This trend is accelerating exponentially. And so even if you can figure out how to comply this year, you better understand and have a strategy of how you're going to keep up with these changing rules and regs every year.
0: When you mention having a better strategy, do you mean any kind of business, or are there specific kinds of businesses affected uh, by this increased regulation?
3: Well, if you're operating, you know, if you have entities in any other country other than your headquarters, and these regulations are changing very rapidly in many countries, It's really difficult to keep up with what's happening, what are the changes, how do I comply with them? I mean, internal tax departments have become overwhelmed, and it's just going to get much worse. This is accelerating.
4: And, Matt, I think it's also important to keep in mind that with all of these countries implementing additional laws and regs that you have to live by, Um, While many of them have put thresholds into place to say, well, if you are generating uh, this amount in my country, well, then you qualify for this set of standards, in the same token, there are many countries that don't have a de minimis threshold. So we have many conversations where an organization will take a look at what they have in terms of their transactions and say, well, I'm, I'm not particularly worried about what's happening in Canada. Um, well, it's important to know that Canada doesn't have a, a threshold. So the fact of the matter is, if you're operating in Canada, when you file your T106 or your tax return local to Canada, um, you're supposed to be checking the box that okay. says, I've done my transfer pricing documentation. So it's keeping track of all of these different nuances by jurisdiction.
2: That's, that's funny that you bring up Canada, because that reminds me of one of our clients that that uh, actually got an IDR in Canada. and. They thought that they had a localized study prepared for Canada, but, you know, as any good taxpayer does before they hand over a report, they look at it, they review it, and what they realized was, wait a minute, this wasn't localized, and they had to go back and get it, quote, localized in accordance with the Canadian rules and regulations, but then they had to pay even more to get that done. That's a little bit crazy, right?
3: It is. You know, one of the challenges of tax directors is, you know, that they're thinking about the CFO. What's the CFO's perspective? Let's look at this from a larger picture. The CFO's trying to find this real delicate balance between risk and cost? How do I control my risk you know, to the extent that minimally I need to, and how much am I going to pay for that? Well, that balance has changed and it's changing rapidly. So I think it's important for tax managers to have this conversation with their CFO and let them know, listen, yes, for t- 15 years that balance didn't change, but now it's changing very quickly. Uh, and you've really got to figure out how do I get into better compliance? And then how do I manage these costs at the same time?
2: Well, you know, you, you're talking about this, this, this balance, the this shifting of this balance. And I'm wondering, is that because you're seeing more adjustments than penalties? And penalties were just a portion. I mean, historically, they were just a proportion of the adjustment amount, right? I mean, things have changed with respect to penalties. But, but I've been hearing a lot about adjustments from you both.
4: Yeah, and I think it's a real threat across the global platform. You know, going back to Canada, in 2012, I think adjustment revenue was somewhere around $58 million, and then you fast forward to 2017, it's $478 million, and you very quickly become aware of the fact that you've got to be mindful of what's happening, and and to Mike's point, It very much is a cost versus risk analysis, and when you look at these organizations who maybe have partnered with a provider in the past, um, whose engagements are very costly, let's say for global or regional documentation, the challenge becomes how do I continue to work with this partner who, while they may know my business, may not be able to get me to the compliance standards that I should fit in. With the budget that I have to work with, that's and a so great point. Um, it really is about putting together the documentation to mitigate those adjustments, because if you don't, I mean, the adjustment that you could end up paying in any single jurisdiction could cost far more than what putting the appropriate compliance into place. Would that
2: be. that's true. So who are? The multinationals that are getting targeted for adjustments these days that
3: 's a great question, Mimi you I see
2: know, Amazon in the newspaper well, it used <laughs> to Google. be and Google
3: It used to be uh, organizations and companies that had controversial uh, intercompany transactions where they had a lot of intellectual property, so on and so forth. but the trend, and this is very interesting I, I love the question because the trend is. Now they're going after, and the CRA is another great example in Canada, the Canadian Revenue Authority. They're going after smaller companies, they're going after transactions that uh, used to be non-controversial. Uh, they're even going after companies that have a, mostly NOLs. So it's, it's the wild west out there today that's a net operating loss.
0: I was going to ask. Uh, But I I actually even want to take a step back from there. Uh, Is the reason that adjustments are being levied more than penalties right now have to do with the fact that tax authorities know that taxpayers are more likely to fight penalties than adjustments?
2: Well, yes and no. I mean, I I, I think that penalties are ultimately... Uh, a stick that has to be applied to try to get people to comply with the regulation. So it says, if you don't do this, you will get penalized. But the the stick was never strong enough, in my opinion, I think, because many tax authorities historically kind of took a reactive approach and said, well, I don't really have to have it. If I get an IDR, they'll give me 30 days to respond or X number of days to respond. Penalties today have changed it's a little bit different where certain countries are going to penalize you if you don't have documentation and then the i think the worst penalty than a monetary penalty is the fact that you don't get to control your story all your transfer pricing documentation your narrative the economic analysis none of that is actually admissible in the court of law if you were to go into a controversial situation right? right um but once again the penalty is a small dollar amount in the overall scheme of things and like i said it's a care excuse me it's a stick it's the adjustments that could really damage the bottom line of multinational enterprises right
3: and if you're going through the the effort of mm. making sure that you're at arm's length the producing of the documentations not a big step beyond that
4: And and here's something to keep in mind when you're talking about a proactive versus reactive approach. In many cases, if you are waiting to do documentation until you're requested for it, um, you have to keep in mind that along the way, some of the key individuals that may have really known your facts and circumstances within your business may no longer be with your business and so you're now scrambling to put together documentation you're working to speak to local controllers and trying to tick and tie all of this information together in a in a very haphazard but also costly manner and so just getting it done when you're supposed to have it done, creates that evidentiary trail of what's happened over the course of two, three years within your business, and, and just continuing to tell that story with the appropriate and consistent narrative. Yeah,
2: that that's actually a really great point, Christy. I see that all the time, and and which which dovetails nicely into what I wanted to ask you guys. You know, as the next step, which is timing and filing requirements. We we haven't really talked talked about and we basically touched upon the fact that there is a contemporaneous documentation requirement it's existed for a while but now countries are actually asking you to file things
3: that's absolutely right and again it's just sort of like the screws are getting tighter and that's just one other element um, the other uh, way in which it's becoming uh, more challenging is given this new BEPS environment, these new requirements, um, tax authorities are sharing studies across jurisdictions. And boy, those studies better be consistent. And even if you're using a one single provider or partner, if they have different teams that don't work very well together, which is most common, you've got a real challenge there as well. Uh, so you've got a, a file on time. You've got to work with partners who are going to help you do that and man- manage the calendar with you. Um, and you've got to make sure that these these studies, the, the argument of that I am at arm's, arm's length is consistent, uh, not just across, uh, on each end of every transaction on the studies in both jurisdictions, but in a master file as well for those companies that require a master file.
2: Do you, do you ever hear companies who say, well, I... I don't. I don't think I have a filing requirement, or I don't think I need to have it done because no one's going to look at it. I mean, do they? Do these companies not realize the the docu- that there are filing requirements now?
4: I, I think many don't, and I think that that's an educational component that's lacking in the industry today. Because with all of the change that's evolving, someone's got to stay on top of that and be able to bring these tax teams up to speed. In many cases, the tax teams that handle transfer pricing or have a hand in transfer pricing also deal with a, a number of other facets of operations for, for the business, right? And so whether they're in five countries or 150 countries, it's just one piece of what they do. And so keeping on top of all of that information doesn't necessarily happen, right? So, right. So working with a provider or having accessibility into some sort of ongoing education around all of this change is really crucial.
0: And I just want to take a moment really quick uh, to give the code for our CPE credit listeners. Uh, Again, are you ready? I just want to give everybody a quick second. This is the first of two code words we have in this show. Stay tuned for the next one. But the very first one is... Fabergé. Again, that first code word is Fabergé. and I'll hand it back off to Mimi.
2: What's it? What an excellent code word! So, <laughs> but going back to to what we were talking about, you know, the the regulations have changed. There are a lot more additional nuances, and we barely touch upon the fact that. In, uh, Christy was talking about the fact that multinationals have to keep up with these changes in the regulatory environment, which includes timing and filing deadlines. But what about benchmark requirements?
3: You know, it's interesting because we talk about, uh, you know, CFOs saying, hey, we want to take a risk based approach. In some ways, that might mean. They're going to do their documentation every third year. Well, we know we can't do that anymore. And in other ways, if get, uh, it might mean, hey, we're going to use global benchmarks or regional benchmarks, even though some of the jurisdictions I'm operating in prefer or actually require local benchmarks. Well, that, too, is no law. Lo- you can't do it. You just can't get away with it. You've got to use local benchmarks in many of these jurisdictions, and that trend uh, is accelerating.
2: So let's ask Fiona really quickly. Fiona. How many countries have expressed preferences or even mandated the use of local comparables?
1: 27 countries now prefer local benchmarks including Austria, Brazil, Hungary, Poland, India, Singapore, Australia, and others.
4: And, you know, if we take a step back to understand why are these local benchmarks being instituted in in these countries, I think in many ways these countries are hoping you're still going to submit a regional <laughs> report, right? I mean, you need to be paying attention. Um, but what's happening is that these authorities are saying, it's not good enough that you can show me other companies in my region that operate the way you do. Find me companies in my country that operate the way you do with, with similar activity, right? And, yeah. and, and match that um, for me to review
2: and approve. It, it, you bring up a good point. It, it, you know, one of the things I see all the time is under audit in countries like Italy, they oh yeah, always ask for local comparables. But have they mandated that you have to have local comparables? They didn't. Right. So, you know, if they're going to ask for it, what does that really mean for the taxpayer?
3: Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's obvious that you want to take the lowest risk approach where you can. Uh, and if you can, you know why wouldn't you if you went through the all of the work of having this documentation done you might as well do it right
2: that's true and and what about the economic analysis so after you after you do a benchmark and you do all of this great work to find local comparables then how do you put together the appropriate level of economic analysis
3: you know Mimi this is interesting because uh, you know having been in the business for a long time we do gap analyses of, of studies from our customers all the time and that's one of the biggest mistakes uh, to save money, a lot of providers will use the same economic analysis for all the countries that are being covered. Of course, many of these countries have their own economic analysis. The U.S. and Canada is a great example. They have different economic analysis requirements. So this is another area, like local benchmarks, uh, where you really don't want to uh, uh, You don't wanna skip a step.
0: Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-Border Solutions AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp And I, I think something that ought to be touched on is the role technology is playing in this in terms of, uh, you know, these jurisdictions and these authority, uh, authorities leveraging technology. Uh, they're making things more difficult for taxpayers, of course, but they're also using technology to find uh, who's not up to snuff.
4: Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. If we look again to the CRA they've developed a software whereby they can flag your documentation if the details differ from prior year's reports. So these are the kinds of efforts that we're seeing to try to uncover uh, differences in documentation, errors in documentation, uh, and and really grabbing a hold of what they can,
2: right? In in Brazil they actually have a very robust automated uh, technology integration platform that where they're able to capture transactional level information and then automate a tax bill it's it's fascinating i think they call it the bear it's pretty (laughs) it's pretty incredible but countries are going there to learn about that in order to also implement their own technology to help facilitate the identification of the appropriate um, audit targets right not only have they increase the amount that they're spending on technology but a lot of these authorities or a lot of these countries are increasing the amount that they are spending on people resources just generally speaking have you seen that trend
3: absolutely um throughout europe and canada another great example i think they've tripled their enforcement staff um and and i think they find that there's a direct relationship to the amount of money they spend on enforcement and the amount of money they get
2: so let's ask Fiona, can you give us some examples of what countries have done?
1: Yes, Mimi, unfortunately, I can. In 2017, MNCs were assessed $50 billion in adjustments. And in 2019, we expect the number to be $200 billion. Here are some examples. First, in 2017, Her Majesty Revenue and Customs assessed 2 billion British pounds in transfer pricing adjustments. That's a 50% increase from 2016. An additional 100 transfer pricing examiners were hired. Next, also in 2017, a tax avoidance task force focusing on transfer pricing was established in the Australian Taxation Office, with a 43% increase in resources. They spent 678 million Australian dollars and added 390 professionals. It's it's astonishing the
2: amount of time, effort, resources that the tax authorities are putting towards this effort. I mean, they really are putting a lot of resources toward it. And yet, some multinationals still don't believe that there's risk associated with transfer pricing, right? I mean, I think know knows this uh, client pretty well. She was talking to them a, a while back ago, and and the customer, if I'm remembering correctly, told you, "Well, we don't have any risk, right?" That's right. She
4: said <laughs> it's only a little over a million dollars for Canada. They're not looking at this pocket change. Yeah. yeah,
2: and then and and basically, she calls Christy what three months later or That's so, right. <laughs> and says, "I got an IDR." That's right. And she
4: said, um, "Not only do I need to quickly put together 18." Um, for transfer pricing documentation, but um, apparently I also need to do 16 and 17, right? And so, you know, had the appropriate, I think the point there is that had the appropriate documentation been put into place to begin with, um, she wouldn't have been in that stressful situation and wouldn't have had to pay, you know, more than what it should have cost, given the expedition of getting the, the documentation done. Right?
0: And just for the folks uh, out there who aren't aren't TP professionals, uh, what is an IDR?
2: Oh, it's a information document request. That's uh, what that is. Yes. Yeah.
3: But you know, it's interesting, so Christy, I think uh, related to that, you hear from a lot of companies that say, well, our facts and circumstances haven't changed in years. There's no risk for us. Those are the favorite ones for the tax authorities to go after, right? They've never received uh, an audit, an IDR. And and, now, and then we're seeing this trend of those exact companies that have not heard from the tax authorities because they've had uh, you know very similar uh, it, transactions. That's who they're going after.
2: Yeah, so I guess really any potential company is at risk regardless of whether or not they have um, a a strategic transfer pricing policy in place to minimize their global effective tax rate to zero percent right like an amazon (laughs) as you see in the news i'm almost inclined to say that those companies with who are aggressively uh, planning for transfer pricing pr- purposes to minimize their overall effective tax rate, they probably have the resources to do this as opposed to the smaller companies who aren't necessarily trying to take advantage of tax arbitrage situations who don't have the resources to do any sort of aggressive tax planning but those are the ones perhaps easier to audit
3: sure sure I and mean, because they don't have the resources right to 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 respond so um, and the other thing is, you know, it's not necessarily about your your current facts and circumstances. I mean, you might be saying, well, we're not even making any money there. But how do the tax authorities know that? You know, so I, I think uh, it, it's really, I mean, the bottom line is, it's important to have good documentation in place that meets the rules and regs of every country. You can do it. You can do it at a reasonable budget. Um, and it's more critical than ever now to do
2: that. Right. and what what about the OECD generic studies that companies used to prepare in the past? What if you hear a company that basically says, "Well, I have this OECD study, I think i'm I'm set. Is that not sufficient?
4: It isn't. and And the reason that it isn't is because it no longer meets the needs of the jurisdictions where these companies are operating. A generic study is a very high-level overview of everything that's happening in the organization everywhere that that organization has operations, and so not only is it invalid as a transfer pricing study, but if you do happen to send that through to one of the jurisdictions where you operate, you're now giving them an entire picture of information um, when they actually only need a very small sliver of that, and I think moving away from generic or regional documentation Is about really custom tailoring documentation per jurisdiction to make sure not only are you filtering through the correct information specific to that jurisdiction but you're giving them their benchmark you're giving them their economic analysis um, and you're kind of tying it up with a bow and making sure that every detail that needs to be in that report is there.
3: Actually, I mean, if you think about it, it's sort of funny. Imagine that you got audited by the IRS for your own personal tax return. And you said, well, generally, this is what took <laughs> place. They would laugh at you in right. the same way the right. tax authorities will laugh at you if That's you have right. a generic study. Yeah. Back to Christie's point. Because uh, she made a really good point. Imagine if you have a study that includes all of your transactions. Germany looks at that study and they say, well, wait a minute, you're using a different uh, price in Italy. That's going to give them more reason to ask questions and to dig deeper. You don't want generic studies. Certainly, you don't want generic studies that are, include all of the transactions uh, the, around the world.
2: Yeah, and, and we touched upon consistency a little bit. I mean, if you if a company does have generic studies, though, doesn't that ensure that they have a consistent narrative?
3: It's an interesting point, uh, but but I don't believe it does. I do not believe it does because you have to have this balance between local requirements, local formatting, uh, but then. That you have to normalize the studies on each side of every transaction and and that's where you really need a professional to help do that to to dance on the head of a pin to find that that balance between uh you know consistency. Um, but also uh, localization requirements.
4: Right, and, and there are a lot of pieces, I would say Mimi, of a generic study that might be in a local file, right? Management structure, corporate overview, um, those narratives are gonna be pretty consistent whether it's one big blanket study or it's a, a local file report. What's different about the local file report is that oftentimes MNCs are operating just a little bit differently in one country to another, so the story um, is more tailored toward the actual activity that's happening at a local level, right? So while it may be a very large manufacturer and distributor, um, there may perhaps be research and development happening in a country where they may not talk about the, the manufacturing and distributing because it's not pertinent to what's happening in countries. So it's really drilling down to a granular level, um, not just about meeting the, the regulations, but telling the true story about what's happening in each one of the countries.
2: Right, and focusing on the intercompany transactions Correct. that are relevant to your point, Correct. right? I think I, I think that's great. I I also think this whole idea that taxpayers are sharing information it's a pretty real thing that's happening right now have you seen you have some of your customers actually talked about where they've experienced tax authority sharing information
4: yes uh, we had someone recently who was dealing with an issue in the uk uh, with the, their tax authority the hmrc and during that discussion um, an agreement that the client had with the australian tax authority came up and the UK said, well listen, you've agreed to this percentage in Australia, that's like 5% more than what we're getting and so we in fact would like that. Um, (laughs) And I think our client was a little bit taken aback at the fact that there hadn't been a formal procedure. There was no notification to say your information has been shared among tax authorities.
3: Here's another related challenge to what Christy just talked about. Imagine you have an entity in China, and you're having a local provider create that study in Mandarin. How the heck are you going to build consistency between that study and the study that's done by either another provider, even that same provider, but a completely different team in the US? So that's another challenge. If if these tax authorities are sharing information, you have to make sure that you normalize that narrative. even in, when they're uh, in countries that require in-language translation.
2: I appreciate that perspective. I, I, I think we're probably near near our time.
0: I just want to thank you guys uh, for stopping by today. I actually also want to give uh, the second code word. It's actually two words. Um, so for our CPE listeners, we have uh, the, the final code for you. It's Herman Munster. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's before their time or, or right at their time, but uh, that is the code word. Hi, I'm Matthew Demello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai/tpu. Which leads me to my favorite part of the show, what we want to know. We put an expert, this time Mimi Song, in the hot seat for a rapid-fire round of questions from our listeners. Uh, Starting us off, Mimi, what is your biggest challenge today as a transfer pricing industry professional?
2: So I think the biggest challenge, it, it, it goes back to what we've been talking about this whole time, which is that the regulatory environment has been evolving, and Keeping up with all these changes, I don't know how any one person can necessarily do it. We at Cross Border Solutions have a whole team that's dedicated, and and not only to mention a team, but really Fiona, the artificial intelligence that is keeping abreast of all the changes in the regulatory environment. So that's, I think, the biggest challenge.
0: And What do you know now? like that old faces song or that rod stewart song what do you know now uh, that you wish you knew when you started at cross border solutions in 2001
2: well i would i i would say i should have bought apple stock <laughs> um, but no i mean i think from a from a career perspective i don't know if there's anything i wish i had known because it's important i think you know where I am today is shaped by the experiences that I've had over the years, um, and it's and and the transfer pricing landscape has evolved so much that I've enjoyed my journey. So I don't know if I do anything that different.
0: Right, right, right. It's part of the mystery that really makes the adventure, of mm-hmm. course. And even in that time, though, what mistakes do you see multinational companies making over and over again?
2: Oh that's a great question because I, I do see the same mistake having over, over over again is in that multinationals have always and even today they think that they can take a reactive approach to documentation and what that means is they think oh I'm just going to have a template in place and maybe if I get an idea I'll be able to you know cobble something up really quickly right I'll react when someone asks me now the challenge with that is twofold number one by the time you are getting audited the people who know about the transaction and the facts and circumstances they may not be with the company anymore so unfortunately the people who are who who need to tell you about exactly what the transfer pricing transactions were what the policy was why it was established that way they might not be there and so you won't have the right information to tell number two when you're reactive you're you're fighting your way out of a corner right and so that i think it, it it's time effort money like all of that is is just i think it it it's increased tenfold when you're in a reactive position if and when you do get audited
0: Right, right. And we've seen the industry change so much in the last five years, even mm-hmm. the, the short history even before that, BEPS, uh, the, the software arms race, many uh, items of which you discussed with, with uh, Mike and Christy. Uh, but what do you think this industry is gonna look like in another five years?
2: I actually think the industry is going to get even more complicated, and the reason why is because as the economy continues to become global, what's going to happen is you're going to see new business models emerge. You're going to see different types of um, ways that companies are going to be able to create, generate revenue, or generate value for the organization. Already, we're seeing a lot of challenges with respect to the digitalization of the economy, right? And so. Over time, it's going to be, I think, even more of a challenge for the tax authorities to keep up with the changes in the economy.
0: Right, right, especially as the private side of the the software arms race uh, bulks up, uh, as we're seeing. But um, lots of great stuff here today. Thank you so much for being here with us, Mimi, and for making such a complicated topic a lot easier to understand. Uh, We learned a lot today, right, Fiona?
1: Well, hopefully you did, Matt.
0: Point taken. Listeners, if you have any questions about transfer pricing, post them to our Facebook page and we'll answer them right here on The Fiona Show. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get the scoop on transfer pricing every week. Until then, hide from those tax authorities. No, wait, Er, that might not be such a good idea.